Welcome to Victory Fellowship's online podcast library. We hope that you enjoy this message today. You know, I was thinking, um, as we were worshiping earlier, I was thinking about that interruption thing. And um, it reminded me of uh, something I read a number of years ago. Um, Jonathan Edwards was being questioned. Uh, actually, he was not, I guess questioned is a nice word for it. He was being attacked. He was being attacked because of the events that had happened in his church. You know, not everybody's happy when the Holy Spirit comes. And he was being attacked about it, and they asked him, you know, about it and about the, the interruptions in the flow of the normal flow. Everyone say normal flow. There was interruptions in the normal flow of what service would look like in a Puritan congregational church in 1734. And there was a, a visitation, and, um, you know, actually they ended up with a, they, they, you know, everybody responds differently, so, you know, people started getting touched by God, and they didn't know, they'd never experienced this before, so people would fall out of the pews on the floor, and well, I don't know what the deacons, ushers, somebody would pick them up and go put them on the, in the floor, in the corner, on the side. Well, by the end of the service, they had accumulated quite a pile over there. <laughs> a pile in the corner in this congregational church in 1734. And what happens, if you've never been around other people, the, the th- strange thing, this is one of the strange things about the anointing is it's highly contagious. And it's contagious in close proximities, like when you're touching someone. You know, it's, it's always like in the prayer line. If you, get, if you want to get in a prayer line, don't get by somebody that's a, a dry, um, whatever. But get, get by somebody that's wet in the prayer line. And there's a huge difference. I mean, there's a huge difference. There's like a little uh, thing there. And so, that, that, so what happens when they had the, the pile of people is it turns into, it turns into uh, a total interruption of the service. And um, Edwards responded, he said, well, he says, I pray that in these colonies, there be many interruptions in the services in, these ne- in, this next, in these next weeks coming up. And, you know, I hope, I hope my prayer is that God would interrupt your life in a huge way, that he would just stop you in your tracks with a divine visitation that's unstoppable. And I love this word, unignorable. <laughs> You might not like it, but you can't deny that it happens. So that's my prayer this morning. We're going to turn to John chapter 9. We've been, I've been looking at, um, just taking another look at the miracles of Jesus recently. And uh, his miracles are awesome. Uh, awesome. I, I, I love to look at these stories again and again. And this particular one is the story of the blind man, a man who was born blind in John chapter 9. And it says, as as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. Now this is, 
This is a common response. You know, you, hear, you can hear this response in any religious discussion at any time, in any season. People always want to understand why sickness comes. But you know, we can't just put out a blanket statement and say, this, this, and this is why sickness comes. Because every circumstance and every situation is incredibly different. Each one of us live a different life. We've come through different circumstances and different things have affected us throughout our lives. And in this particular case, you know, Jesus did not like cookie cutter answers. And he said, in this particular case, this particular sickness was not connected to sinfulness in this man's life or in his parents' life. But that was not just as it's not all sin, sin can be connected to sickness. Sometimes, sometimes they are connected. Sometimes our sinful lives and sinful pasts bring a, a direct response of sickness and disease. Quite often that's the case. Not always, but quite often our sicknesses and our diseases can be traced directly to our disobedience and to our rebellion. Don't shout me down when I'm preaching. I, I want to give you this morning an opportunity. If there's anybody in this place, and I'm certain there may be someone in this place that has some stuff going on in their life that shouldn't be going on in their life. And if that happens to be you, your circumstances might not be the best because you're experiencing the ramifications or the consequences of sinful mistakes that you've made in your life. But your sins can be forgiven. And when your sins are forgiven, when your sins are forgiven, most times forgiveness is directly connected to the healing power of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus to break every chain to break every chain to break every chain and the tool that he uses to break the chains of sickness and disease that are connected to sinfulness in our, in our lives is the power that's found in the precious blood of Jesus Christ when Jesus went to the cross he went to the cross on my behalf. He went to the cross as my representative. And when he went to the cross, he bore my personal sins. He bore my rebellion. He bore my blasphemy. He bore my immorality. He bore my alcoholism. He bore my sinful stain and my sinful past. He says, as a matter of fact, Matthew was talking about this, this very thing, talking about forgiveness and healing in Matthew 8, 16. And he says, it says in Matthew 8, 16, when evening had come, they brought to Jesus many who were demon-possessed. And he cast out the spirits with a word. And he healed all, everyone say all. He healed all who were sick. You know, Catherine Kuhlman used to prophesy, all the, and she would prophesy, she says, there's coming a day. She thought it'd be in her lifetime, but, but this is what she said. There's coming a day before the return of Christ 
that there'll be healing services where every sick person in the house will be healed. That's what she used to, she used to say it almost every time she took the platform. There's coming healing services before the return of Christ where every sick person, every blind eye, every deaf ear, it's not really a stretch if you look back over history. As a matter of fact, in some of Sister Amy's services, there'd be 90 or 100 deaf mutes healed in one service. In one service, there'd be whole sections that couldn't hear, that could suddenly hear in one service. Why not now? Why not in New Orleans? Why not a visitation of the Holy Ghost? Again, in before, relentless, 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 unexplainable, unstoppable move of the Holy Ghost. He cast out the spirits with a word, and he healed all that were sick, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet. He himself took our infirmities, and he bore our sicknesses. I don't understand it all, but I know somehow, just as surely as my sinfulness was placed on my Savior at the cross, somehow... My sicknesses and my diseases were placed on his body at the cross. And by his wounds, I was healed. He came to this earth to die. He came to this earth to carry my sinful condition to the cross. He came to this earth to carry my sicknesses. When he looked at sick people physically when he was here on the earth, when he looked at the deaf, the dumb, and the blind, he knew hanging over him that one day he would bear the brunt of their conditions in his body on the cross. And he could, he could minister to them forgiveness and healing as he took their place. He was touched with the feelings of our infirmities. It says in James 5, verse 16, confess your faults. To one another that you might be healed so James connected the healing power of God to forgiveness of sins you know it's 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 a shame when we allow our pride and our unwillingness to say these simple words I was wrong would you forgive me most painful two sentences a per person can ever say, but some of the most powerful. I was wrong. Confess your faults to one another that you might be healed. Now the opposite is true. If we, if we don't confess our faults to one another, we stay bound to our circumstances. Amen. Amen. So forgiveness. Now here, then Jesus goes on in the next verse, he, he answered he answered, he gave them the answer to this particular situation. He said, in this situation, it's not forgiveness of sins that's the issue. But he said, neither this man nor his parents sins. But this sickness is that the works of God should be revealed in him. He said, this guy's condition is for one simple reason, for God to be glorified through, through healing. 
That's why you exist. Every one of us are an opportunity for the testimony of Jesus to be seen loud and clear in our worlds. Our alcoholism is an opportunity for the delivering power of God to be displayed. Our deafness is the opportunity for God's healing power to be displayed. Our stupidity is God's opportunity to bring transformation and meekness into our life that our testimony would glorify God. God. Your testimony is the most powerful thing you own in this life. It's more valuable to you than anything else. The testimony of Jesus Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's your hope. It's your answer. You know, I'll never forget the time. I'll never forget the time. You know, when I was, my first job at Bible school before the chicken ranch job was working at Kmart. I unloaded the trucks at Kmart and, and I began to testify and, and word began, it doesn't take long for your testimony to spread to your workplace. No one would eat lunch with me because they didn't want to hear my testimony. And they, the word spread throughout the, 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 the Kmart in Fresno, California. And it spread, it got all the way to the ready-to-wear departments. And the ready-wear department was managed by one of the elders from the Kingdom Hall. One of the Jehovah Witness elders was there. So he scheduled a lunch appointment with me. Wanted to, to have lunch with me, and he wanted to share all these things that, 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 that he was going to, he was going to try to bring confusion into my life. And he opened up his scriptures, and you know, the, the Jehovah Witnesses are taught certain patterns of scripture just to refute Christian doctrine. That's what they're taught. That's really all they know. And this guy was trying to tie me, and the, the, the beauty of it was, I didn't know enough yet. I mean, I was saved maybe, maybe a month, a brand new Christian. I didn't know the scriptures, and I didn't even, I didn't have enough pride to pretend that I knew the scriptures. And he started trying to tie me up in knots, and I said, hey, wait, time out. Wait a second. I have no idea what you're talking about. But this one thing I know, this one thing I know, just a month ago, just a month ago, I was lost. I was without hope and I was without God. I was bound by alcoholism. I was bound by drug addiction. And someone came and told me about Jesus of Nazareth. I opened my heart in a moment of time. He broke every chain from off of my soul. He broke the chains in my life. This elder, this elder was struck dumb right in the spot. I mean, he looked like the, the blood drained out of his face. The reason, the reason he had nothing to say to me is because he had never met this Jesus. There was no testimony of Jesus in his life. All he had was a form of religion. All he had was information that he'd studied in a book, but Jesus had never stepped into his life in the reality and in the power of God's. The testimony of Jesus will answer every question. And that's, what, that's all the Lord was saying in this case. He said, oh, this is, this, that's what this is about. This guy was blind, but watch this. You know, if you see, in, in the, as you read the rest of this chapter, the Pharisees began to confront him, and he said, hey, wait a second, I don't really understand that much. I didn't even know this guy till today. I didn't know, I don't know what's going on. Oh, there's one thing I do know. 
I was blind yesterday and I'm not blind today. That's the one thing I know. You sort it out. You're the theologians. You figure out what happens. But I was blind and now I see. Well, that was enough to get him kicked out of the synagogue. He needed to be kicked out. Jesus wasn't in the synagogue anymore. That's why he needed to be kicked out. Wow. Anyway, let's go on. Let's look at this. John 9, verse 4. Jesus goes on to say, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. There's a quote here. There, there, there are heaven-sent works that we must do. And there is an urgency about doing them. For the opportunity will not always be present. Night is coming. The remorseless passage of time removes the present opportunity. You know, many times we're not in touch with the times and the seasons that we live in. It starts at an early age. The three-year-old wants to be four. The four-year-old wants to be five. The five-year-old wants to be 15, and the 15-year-old wants to be 25 until they get in their 30s, and then they want to go back in time. (laughs) But no one is ever satisfied with this moment of their life. But this moment, this moment, when I happen to be 61 years old, this moment is my moment that I have right now. I don't have my other moments. Those other moments have passed me by. But this is my moment. When I was living in each one of those other moments, I had no idea that they were glimpses. They were seasons. Seasons of God that God brought across my path. Seasons. That's why it's so disturbing when people come, oh, I remember the good old days when they used to sing those songs back in the 80s. Forget about it. It was good then, but this is not the 80s. This is not even the 90s. This is not even the teens. This is something else totally other than all of that. This is a new day, a new moment in time. This is not the past. This is not yesterday. This is right now, today, and we don't know what tomorrow holds. Jesus was telling them, I'm not going to be with you much longer But while I'm here, I am the light of the world. Walk in this light. Springtime, summer, fall, and winter. The seasons are passing us by. They're passing us by opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. And if you haven't realized it yet, the clock is ticking on your life. Tick tock, tick tock. There's not much time left in any of our lives. There's not many more opportunities. And actually, you and I have been given, we've been given one life and one opportunity to shine. There won't be a second opportunity. This is the only one we have. We won't be reincarnated in another life. This is our moment of destiny. This is our moment in time. Walk in the light. Seize this moment. Embrace the day. You know, I remember a, a conversation that I had. This was, this was, happened to be the fall of 1994, just after a visitation in our church. And we were having at my house, 
At the time, we lived in Destrehan, and we had the pastors from the New Orleans area that had been touched by revival. They'd come over to my house for lunch, and we were having a time of, of prayer and saturation, and God was there in our house. It was a precious, precious time. But you know, we don't really realize how precious those times are until they're gone. And we were there in this moment of moments, and God was in our house, and the phone rings, and I went and answered the phone. And on the end of the phone, it was Rodney, Rodney Howard Brown calls. And, he's, and if, you, if you've never been around Rodney, Rodney is an interesting character. And Rodney was crying hysterically on the other end of the phone. He was, I mean, not just so- weeping, he was sobbing and he was crying. And he was, he, then he, he started saying, Frank... He kept saying, keep pouring the wine. Keep pouring the wine. There's not much time. There's not much time. While there's an opportunity, keep pouring out the wine, the wine of the Holy Spirit. And, you know, at the time, it it seemed to me, it's like, I don't even know what you're talking about, but it seemed to me that that season was, it was so powerful, so real, and so, so right there, right then. I couldn't think of living another day. I couldn't think of there being another season. I thought this was going to be the season of all seasons that lasted forever. But but every season comes, runs its course, and finishes its course, and and everyone goes to the next moment. The ministry of John the Baptist came to an end. The ministry of, of Jesus came to an end. The ministry of Paul came to an end. And regardless of what we do, there'll be a day when this church will no longer be a player in this earth. But right now is our moment. It's the only one we have. This is our opportunity. We don't know when nighttime is coming. Walk in the light, the glory of his presence. A couple other things I want to share with you this morning. This one, this is so strange. How many people would agree with me that, that Jesus was, he was different? Sometimes we, we're so used to reading the scriptures and we don't re- realize how different he really was. But verse 6 and 7, for example, when he said these things, he spat on the ground and he made clay with the saliva. That was a pretty good amount of saliva to make mud balls. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. He rubbed clay. Now, this wasn't the only time. Thankfully, this wasn't the only way he ministered. Sometimes he blew on people. Sometimes he, he just spoke the word. Sometimes he laid his hands on people. And sometimes he spat on people. But he didn't always do it that way. But, you know, one time he spit in a gun. This guy spit on his eyes. Another guy, he spit on his fingers and stuck it in his ear. That doesn't go over well in today's world. Maybe we'll try that in the prayer line today. But he said, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Now this is, he wasn't given us a certain way to pray for the sick. He wasn't giving us a pattern. But he was, he was, there was, a, there was something very real and very precious that was taking place here. And we, we call this the transfer of the anointing. 
the anointing was upon him. Jesus was the anointed one. And, and this, we can see this same thing mirrored in the, in the ministry of Peter. Just, just a few months after this, the Holy Ghost was all over Peter. And there was, a, there was a, an explosion of miracles to the degree that there were hundreds of people being healed on the streets of Jerusalem. There were so many people being healed at the, at the initiation of, of Pentecost that they were lining people literally up and down the streets of Jerusalem and waiting for Peter to pass by and just his shadow as it passed by would heal the people. Now that wasn't a new ministry that Peter instituted. He he didn't have the shadow ministry the rest of his life. As far as we know, it only happened that one time. As far as we know, the spitting ministry of Jesus only happened twice. May have been more than that. And then we have the ministry of the Apostle Paul who was ministering in, in Ephesus. He was ministering. He, he gathered a Bible study in Ephesus and he gathered together 12 Southern Baptists and he asked the 12 Southern Baptists if they believed in the Holy Spirit and they said, we've never even heard of the Holy Spirit. They don't talk about the Holy Spirit at the Baptist seminary. And Jesus said, well, how are you baptized? Well, we were baptized by John's baptism. Well, Jesus, Paul went on to say, well, Jesus came and told us that he would baptize us in the Holy Spirit. And and Paul laid his hands upon these 12 Southern Baptists. And the Holy Spirit came upon them. And they began to speak in other tongues. And they began to prophesy. Well, they they began to minister in the synagogue. and, And they got kicked out of the synagogue. Just, that was happening a lot. And so they rented the, the school, and they began to have meetings in this school for two years. And they found out something about the anointing as they ministered for two years. From 10 o'clock in the morning to 3 in the afternoon for two years. The ministry of the Apostle Paul, it was, can you imagine getting in those quarters in a school building? There was a saturation level of the Holy Ghost. So it got to the point where it broke the dam that was there and began to break out and begin to move through Asia Minor. And in this particular case, they took pieces of cloth from Paul's body and they took them out and they they sent these pieces of cloth out and they put them on people that were demon possessed and the demons would come out. They put them on people that were, were sick and they were healed. He was not giving us just another method. This was the transfer of the anointing. It's awesome. The anointing is powerful. The anointing is real. The anointing is in this house. You know, the anointing of the Holy Spirit is not welcomed in every congregation. Some people do everything they can to fight the presence and fight the anointing. But, you know, I've, I've come to the conclusion that I can't heal anybody. The Holy Ghost can. I can't baptize anyone in the Holy Ghost. He can. I can't even convict people of their sins so they can be converted. Only the Holy Ghost can do that. I can't even preach very well until he comes upon me. There's not many things that I can do to affect people's lives. So I think that I am, I am in need of a place that welcomes the anointing of the Holy Ghost. And there are times and seasons, there have been times and seasons in our church where we get perilously close to that saturation level. And when that happens, wow. Two things, well, two things happen. Some people run for the hills. 
I'm going to find another church. They find a reason to get mad at me or whatever. There's not, it doesn't take long. I mean, there's plenty of reasons. And then whatever. So let me go, let me go on here. Verse, let's look at verse seven. Now this is, we're getting to the, we're getting to the, the, the final, the most important part of this whole message. Verse, chapter nine, verse seven, Jesus said to this guy, he's got mud on his eye. I'd love to be, have a picture of that. If, you, if I was an artist, I'd paint this picture as well. This guy's standing there with mud dripping down his face. Before, I mean, I wonder what he was thinking when he's standing there. Who is this knucklehead? He put mud on my face. I don't even know who he is. He, mud's dripping down my eyes. And so he said, okay, go wash it off. Go wash in the pool of Siloam which is translated sent, which is connected to messianic title, the, the sent one, the Lord's. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Now this pool was not just any ordinary pool. It wasn't the pool of Bethesda where they washed the sheep, but this was the very pool that was connected to the Feast of Tabernacles. As a matter of fact, John chapter 7 and John chapter 8 took place in this same area, and Jesus was teaching in John chapter 7 at the Feast of Tabernacles. What would happen as part of the, the worship at Feast of Tabernacles is the priests would, would have a procession and they would go outside of the temple and they'd go to the pool of Siloam and they would go get big barrels of water. And they'd come back and they'd be singing the choir and the Levites would be singing from Isaiah 12, 3, with joy we'll draw forth waters from the wells of salvation. And they'd be coming in, pouring out big barrels of water in the midst of the temple. And in the middle of that situation, it got to the point Jesus is standing watching this service and he couldn't help himself anymore. He couldn't, he could not. He's like doing his best to respect the order and the service, but he finally got to the point where he had to interrupt his own service in the temple. And you know the story in John chapter 7, on the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out. This was the Feast of Tabernacles. He couldn't see. He said, I cannot see another barrel of water pour out of these people when they're in that miserable face. There's no joy. They're singing about joy. And they have the most miserable look on their face that I've ever seen before. I can't take another joyless service. I can't take another service of types and shadows without the power of the presence. I can't take another service without the Shekinah glory in this place. And so he began to cry out, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And the way he said it, if you tear this, this passage apart, it's continuous. It's a verb that's continuous. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and come to me and come to me and drink and drink and drink and drink and drink. And out of his belly, out of his heart, will flow rivers of living water. And then John said Jesus was prophesying about the day that was about to break on the earth. This he spoke concerning the Holy Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So Jesus was prophesying. Shachabasek. He was prophesying, prophesying about the waters 
he's sitting there looking at the waters being poured out, looking at the pool of Siloam. When he went to minister to this guy, he's telling this guy, there are waters of renewal available for you. These waters will wash the mud out of your eyes, wash the mud out of your physical eyes, and wash the mud out of your spiritual eyes. This water will wash over you and make all things new. You'll get a revelation of who you are and why you are. You'll get a revelation of the power of God and of the grace of God. In one moment of time, sir, your life will be changed. Go wash in the pool of Siloam. And he came back seeing. Wow. You know, he didn't want to get kicked out of the synagogue. But it happens. As a matter of fact, once you've tasted of the reality of God, you can't go back to symbolic religion anymore. You can't go back to just hearing about it. You cannot. You cannot. I don't know how Jesus stood it for 33 years, but he finally couldn't take it anymore in this case. And he began to cry out. You know, talk about interrupting a service. The Holy Ghost interrupts services, but in this case, Jesus interrupted the service. Has he interrupted your life recently? <laughs> when he does, it'll be for the better. You won't miss anything important. You can clear your entire schedule. <laughs> You can clear your calendar and you won't miss anything that important. When he comes, it's inevitable. Absolutely inevitable. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Check out our website at victoryfellowship.net for service times and locations.